Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Allen at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. We are talking about the Holy Spirit uh, upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. And uh, we are talking the greater subject is uh, the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And before I embark on today's lesson, I would just like to share a short testimony with you. This is uh, from a few years ago when I was uh, preaching in Zambia and a man came up and he wanted to see me. And he, he's a, he said he was a pastor. In fact, somebody introduced him to me because he was one of the pastors who was participating in the crusade we were doing. And he told me this story. He said, Pastor, I'm here because about 15 years ago, I got saved uh, in one of your crusades. I said, oh, that's wonderful to meet you. I said, tell me what happened. He said, 15 years ago, he says, I was a Muslim. I think if I remember correctly, he was some kind of, of Muslim scholar or he was studying Islam, something like that. But he, he was a Muslim. He said, I've never been to a Christian meeting and I was in the northern part of Zambia where there's lots of, uh, of Muslims. And I had come down to, to the capital city, Lusaka, for you know religious purposes. And he says, and I, I, I was going somewhere and then I saw this crowd and there was a man preaching. So I stopped to hear uh, what was being said. And so it was you who was preaching. And then he said, you were talking about how you were a Muslim and you came to Christ. And I was very fascinated. I stopped because I'd never heard of a Muslim uh, coming to Jesus. But when I, I heard your story, I thought, this is interesting. I've got to come back tomorrow, hear what this man has to say. He says, I came back the next night. And he says, on the third night, I decided this is what I need. I want to give my life to Jesus. So he says, I gave my life to Jesus. It became very tough for me. Uh, my fellow Muslims that persecuted me, but I just stood steadfast and I joined the church. And he says, the pastor there discipled me. I grew in God's grace. Soon I was in the ministry and I have planted three churches. And uh, now I'm pastoring this one, but I planted three churches in all. And I'm serving God and, and, you know, since the last 15 years. So I just wanted to meet you. And that, you know, it's things like this that really warm your heart because, you know, I've been working in Africa for 33 years. And, and when you, when, you know, when you do what I'm doing and you, you know, month after month, year after year, you see the crowds, you preach the gospel and people receiving Jesus. But it takes a few years until you begin to see the lasting fruit of what we do. And it's stories like that, that really touch my heart. Stories of people who come out of real darkness, who get saved and who are serving God today. Praise the Lord. I just wanted to share this with you. Now, we are talking about the spirit upon, uh, upon Jesus. And um, yesterday we talked about, we ended by talking about the, the, how Jesus uh, proclaimed the Jubilee, uh, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, how he came back to his own home synagogue where he had grown up in Nazareth and he, he proclaimed, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and then he, he proclaimed the Jubilee and what happened and I explained to you what the Jubilee was, which is actually something very, very huge. It is striking. This is something that every Christian should actually know and learn about because the Jubilee is total restoration of everything that the devil has ever taken from you for any reason whatsoever. Be, is it, uh, you know, whatever reason, 
you have lost anything to the devil, Jesus came to restore everything. Restore your health, restore your life, restore your peace of mind, restore everything to you. Hallelujah. That's what the Jubilee is. And the Bible says the, that man's response to the Jubilee is that as, the, as, as Leviticus says, every man shall go and take his possession. And our response to the fact that Jesus is our Jubilee is that by faith we should stand up and take hold of that which belongs to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not discuss it, not talk about it, but by faith rise up and take possession of that which the Bible says is ours. Hallelujah. And through Jesus Christ, uh, we are free from condemnation, free from the power of sin, free from the power of sickness and disease and infirmity, and free from lack and free from fear. And we have to take hold of everything that God has for us. Anyway, we are talking about the spirit upon Jesus. And the next thing I want to share with you is Acts 10.38. This is the testimony of Peter, uh, who was one of uh, uh, the apostles of Jesus. And this is how he sums up the, uh, the effect and the work of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. And he said in Acts 10.38, how... God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power. And once God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power, Jesus went about doing good and healing everybody who was oppressed of the devil because God was with him. Hallelujah. Now just imagine Jesus, if Jesus needed the Holy Ghost to come upon him in order to do the works of God, to set people free, to heal the sick, to preach deliverance to the captives, how much more don't you and I need to be filled with the Holy Ghost to do the works of Jesus? Hallelujah. And then if you look at the ministry of Jesus, I mean, you know, he, Jesus himself, he ministered with Holy Ghost power Preaching the, uh, preaching the gospel, teaching the word, healing the sick and casting out demons. That's what he did. He went about preaching the gospel, uh, teaching the word, healing the sick, casting out devils, and of course, forgiving sinners. This is what Jesus did because his, his ministry was, I should say, for us, is a textbook example of what Holy Ghost filled ministry should be like. Let me repeat myself. The ministry of Jesus is for the believer, a textbook example of what the believer's Holy Ghost filled ministry should be like. Amen. Now, John the Baptist, this is what he testified about Jesus. When he saw Jesus, uh, you know, this is what he said. He says, because they, they were asking him about him baptizing people with water. And he said to them all, he said, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of shoe, whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now this is big because John the Baptist, he actually said three things about Jesus. He, the first thing he said, uh, uh, he's the son of God. That's one thing he said, Jesus is the son of God. The second thing he said, uh, behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. So 
He said Jesus was the son of God and he said Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he says, this is what he said in Luke 3.16. I'm going to read it to you. Please listen to it carefully. This is important. John answered and said unto them all. This is when he was baptizing people with water and they wanted to know about it. He said, I indeed baptize you with water. And the word baptism means actually to immerse. Uh, the Greek word baptizo, which is translated as baptize in English, it actually means to dip or to immerse. So what he's saying is this. He says, I indeed immerse you with water, but one mightier than I cometh. That means there's one coming after me who's mightier than me. Then he says, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. What he's basically saying is that he who comes after me is so much greater than me. You know, he said that I immerse you in water, but there's one who's coming after me who's far greater than me. And then he talks about the one who's coming after him, how much greater that person is than himself. He says he is so much greater than me that I am not worthy to untie his shoelaces. He shall baptize you or immerse you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, I want to explain this to you, uh, what John the Baptist is actually saying. John the Baptist is saying that, look, I immerse you in water, but there's one coming after me who is greater than I. And then he tells how much, how far greater this one who's coming after him is than himself. He says, he's so much greater than me that I am not even worthy to uh, unbuckle his sandals or untie his shoelaces, he shall baptize you with Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, first of all, what does this mean, untie someone's shoe shoelaces? I want to explain this to you from the perspective of Middle Eastern culture, what it means. Now, if you, if you look at me uh, or, you know, you look at yourself or any human being, the head is the highest part of the body and the feet are the lowest part. So the head is the part that is held in greater, greatest honor and the feet are the lowest part. So what happens when, for example, uh, uh, the greater and the lesser meet, like two people meet, the greater and the lesser, uh, the lesser always touches the greater's feet. That's a sign of utmost humility that the lesser or the younger touches the feet of the greater and the greater touches the head of the lesser. So when, a, when the lesser touches the feet of the greater, uh, then he's saying that the greatest thing about me is lesser than the least part of you. Right now, I grew up this way when I would meet because, you know, we, we kind of lived in old uh, Arabic culture and the Jews were also like that. And I mean, a lot of that has passed away in modern times. Not many people do that, but the more traditional ones, they do that. that so, for example, uh, when I would meet my uncle or some elder or someone older than me, or even my older cousins, you know, anyone older than me in my family, when I would greet them, I would bow down and touch their feet or sometimes touch their knees, you know, 
touch their feet and bow and they would touch me on the head. So when I do that, it is a sign of humility that the greatest part of me is lesser than the least part of you. And then they would touch my head, which means they give me their blessings. Now, this is what happens. So, uh, so what happens in every family, there is like an order. There's a, well, you can call it some kind of pecking order. And the father is the head of the family. Then comes the mother, then comes the siblings by age. Uh, and then after the siblings come the servants of the house. So from the great to the least. So um, what would happen, for example, uh, in within that order is interesting because my father, you know, we had several servants in the house and my, my father had one servant. Uh, he was uh, he was uh, uh, he was with my father since my father was a second lieutenant when my father was a newly commissioned officer this man served my father from that time so when i was born you know he was there when my dad was married he was there when i was born all the children was born he was he was with us all the time so although he was a servant he he had a kind of higher status so uh, he served us but we used to call him uncle we never called him by his first name we called him we had to respect him called him uncle. So what happens is that the servants uh, work for their masters and uh, but the lowest job has is, are the jobs that have to do with washing of feet or polishing shoes, anything to, that has to do with the shoes or footwear. That is the part of the lowest servants. If you if you know that's the so so the guy who polishes the shoes you know that he's the guy who's the lowest in the order of the servants and so um so when i would come home from school i would sit down and you know th this is how i grew up our servants one of the servants would come and he would untie my shoelaces and massage my feet and wash my feet but this man who was who i called uncle he would never do that that was beneath him anything to do with cleaning my shoes and uh, un, you know un, uh, polishing shoes untying shoes was the job of the lowest servant so that so when someone has uh, cleans shoes and polishes shoes has to do with the feet you know that this man uh, he understands he's the lowest of the servants so john the baptist is interesting that John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest man in the old covenant. And not only that, he was the second cousin of Jesus. He was six months older than Jesus. And he was Jesus' second cousin because John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were quite, quite close, although they were cousins. And you must understand, in the Middle East, cousins are like siblings. They're not as distant as they are here in America or in European culture. Cousins, uh, often when I had my cousins, I still have cousins and I refer to them as my brother and my sister. They're like siblings. So when you're somebody's first or second cousin, you're quite close. So John the Baptist, he knew who Jesus was because his mother and Jesus' mother were very close. They were cousins, they were like sisters. And John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus, but he didn't show the least bit of familiarity or condescension when he met, when he talked about Jesus. He didn't say, oh yeah, yeah, I baptize you with water, but you know my cousin, he's coming behind me. He's going to baptize the Holy Spirit. He didn't say that. He said that I baptize you with water, 
but there's one who's coming who's greater than me. He's so much greater than me that I'm not even worthy, worthy to be the servant who unties his shoelaces. What he was saying, that Jesus who's coming after me is so much greater than me that I am not even worthy to be the least of his servants because he's the least of the servants who unties, you know, unbuckles the shoes and unties shoes and uh, cleans shoes and washes feet. I mean, just imagine John the Baptist, he knew Jesus in the flesh, but he also knew him in the spirit. In the flesh, he was his cousin, but being a man of the spirit, because John the Baptist was the one man in the Old Testament who was actually filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. He was filled with the Holy Ghost from the time in his mother's womb. I mean, there's nobody in the Old or the New Testament who is like that. Even Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost when he was 30. He was in the River Jordan. But John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost from the time he was a fetus. From the time he was a fetus, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And so therefore, he, when he saw Jesus, he saw him in the Spirit. He says, the one who is coming after me, he's so much greater than me that I'm not even worthy to untie his shoelaces. Now, I want you to, I want to give you another example about feet and touching someone's feet and, you know, and all that. You remember after Jesus, after the Last Supper, Jesus, uh, he, you know, he, he went to another room and he came back with a bowl full of water and a towel and he sat down at the disciples' feet and he wanted to wash their feet. And Peter was horrified. He was mortified. He says, Jesus, no, 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 you cannot wash my feet. You will never wash my feet. Because Peter was the one who had pointed to him and said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And, and remember their first meeting, Peter had said, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And so now here's this guy who had called himself a sinful man. And the man who he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, wants to wash his feet. Peter was horrified and said, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then I have nothing to do with you. And then Peter said something interesting. He said, Lord, okay, not only my feet, but my head also. Because, listen, what happens is if I'm with one of my older uh, uncles or cousins or older relatives and they touch my foot or my feet by mistake. It's something that should never, never happen. And when that happens, even by mistake, the only way to restore that order, uh, you Americans, Westerners might find this is ridiculous, but, but it's because you maybe don't have that concept of honor in your culture that we Middle Eastern uh, Middle Easterns understand because we grow up with this, you know. Uh, so I want you to li listen to this instead of laughing at this. So the way you restore that is by uh, by the younger touching the feet of the elder and the elder touching the head of the younger. That way the order is restored. So when Jesus wanted to wash Peter's feet, Peter said, no, Lord, no, 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 you can never wash my feet. And Jesus said, no, I must wash your feet. Then Peter said, okay, Lord, okay, fine. If you insist, wash my feet, but not only my feet, but my head also, because when you touch my head, that order is restored. But Jesus said, no, only my feet. And so he washed Peter's feet and he, he washed everybody's feet. Now, here's the interesting thing. When he had washed everybody's feet, this is what he said. Now, 
before he washed their feet. This is what the Bible says. It says, now Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things in his hands, you know, he took this bowl of water. So, before Jesus washed, his, washed the feet of his disciples or humbled himself and became the lowest of the servants in washing their feet, he knew that the Father had given all things in his hands. So, lesson number one. Only those who are very secure in who they are in God can humble themselves and become servants and wash someone's feet. Let me say that. Only those who are very secure and he know and they know who they are in God and what God has given them can humble themselves and wash feet and become servants because they know that they have nothing to lose. And Jesus was very secure in what the Father had given him. And that is why the Bible says, Now Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, you know, he washed his feet. And then when he has finished washing their feet, this is what he said. He says, you call me your Lord and my master, and that I am. That means that, in other words, even though I humbled myself and washed your feet and became your servant, I am still your Lord and your master. So Jesus was very, very secure. And as I, as I said, uh, leaders who are secure, who are very, very secure, they are the ones who can wash feet and become servants. Now, my point is this. John the Baptist said, I indeed immerse you in water, but there comes one after me who is so much greater than me that I'm not even worthy to be the least of his servants. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So he understood who Jesus was and he understood who he was in relation to Jesus. He, he said, he's so much greater than me that, my goodness, I'm not even worthy to be the lowest one of his servants. And this is the greatest man of the old covenant talking. So who is this Jesus? Well, the scriptures tell us that he is the one who measures the universe in the palm of his hand. He says, by his word, he upholds all things. All things were created by him and without him, there is nothing created that was created. There was nothing. Jesus is the one who created all things and he measures, can you imagine? He measures the universe in the span, in the palm of his hand. Now the universe is uh, billions and billions and trillions and trillions and trillions of miles. You know, I mean, nobody, there's no, it's infinitely large and scientists are saying that the universe is expanding by hundreds of billions of miles every day. And yet all that Jesus measured in the palm of his hand. If you stand outside and look at the uh, night sky on a starry night and then you see these millions of stars, uh, many are visible. There's many who are not visible to the naked eye, but they can be seen with a telescope. Uh, the closest ones of the stars that is outside our solar system is called Alpha Centauri. Alpha Centauri is 4.35 light years away. Now, what does that mean? That's the distance. It's measured in light years. A light Now, light, a ray of light travels at a speed of 186 miles per 
second, okay? So if you shine a light, a light, it travels at 186,000 miles per second. That's 250,000 kilometers a second. Now, if a, if, a, if a beam of light or a ray of light traveling at 186,000 miles per second travels for 4.335 years, you can just imagine how many billions and trillions of miles that must be. That is the distance from the Earth to Alpha Centauri. In fact, if you can see Alpha Centauri, you can see it with the naked eye in a clear night. When you say that's Alpha Centauri, there it is. That was the position of that star 4.35 years ago. Now you don't know, it has moved on. So you can imagine. So that's the distance to the star that is closest to us. 4.35, 4.35 light years away. Now, that, all that, Jesus measured in the palm of his hand. So that is how great this Jesus is. And I want you to think that this Jesus, this great Jesus who measured the universe in the palm of his hand, he left his glory above and looked at us. And the psalmist says, what is man that you would even consider him? That he, I mean, who are we? We are specks of dirt on this earth and we are nothing and we are sinners lost in our sins, condemned to judgment. Yet he looked on us and he loved us and he left his divine glory and he came down to this earth took upon himself a robe made of the dust of the earth and became a man and he made himself of no reputation and became a servant and he humbled himself and he was obedient to God, obedient to the Father, even to the death of the cross. He died a painful death for us and then he died went to Hades, rose up from the dead, and he ascended to heaven where he's back at the right hand of the Father. And all that glory he had left behind to come to us to save us, he's clothed with that same glory again. And he, this Jesus, he's the one who saves us who calls us his own and Hebrews says he's not ashamed to call us his brethren and when we get saved he raises up us up together with him and, and seats us at his own right hand side in heaven and he is the one who baptizes you and me with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Having said this, I want to end today. We'll carry on tomorrow so you understand what a powerful thing this is. The baptism with the Holy Ghost and with fire. It is one of the most powerful things that God can ever impart to a believer. 
Well, we'll continue tomorrow. We'll talk more about this. But let me pray with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for your hand upon their lives. I thank you for your hand upon their families. I pray, Father, that we may be filled and be empowered, that we may serve you and walk with you and do your works upon this earth so that you, Lord Jesus, are glorified through us and in us, Lord. Lord, we honor you. I thank you, Father, that you have redeemed us from death, from sickness, disease, and infirmity. And right now, I banish every sickness and every disease from every home. And I speak life to everybody who's hearing my voice. Let them be filled. Let them be strengthened in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you, my friends. And we'll be seeing you again tomorrow.